Do you know that if you ask permission to talk about Jesus to people, you will never get anywhere? Are you really, are we really going to be the church that God wants us to be if we wait for everyone to say, tell us about Jesus? You see, the early church were proclaimers. They took the gospel everywhere they went in the power of the Holy Spirit. They took the gospel. They didn't believe the lie of the enemy that said religion is a private thing. It's not private. It's a public thing. Jesus was publicly crucified, publicly raised from the dead, disciples publicly persecuted. Publicly, we go forth with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a joy to be here today and to be able to share with you from the Word of God. I'm going to do something very interesting. I'm going to stay in the series we have on the book of Exodus, and you may be asking, how in the world do you preach on the birth of Christ from the book of Exodus? <clears throat> well, we may not after this time. We'll see how well it goes, but in the book of uh, Exodus, we're going to look in just a moment, but let me give you first a couple of uh, just wilderness report items. Here's the first one. See if you can say this with just a little bit of prompting. You can what? You see, some of you are living out miracles and don't know it, and you've let other things sidetrack you from what God is doing. Sometimes what we do is we let distractions in life sidetrack us from the miracles God is doing. And when we do that, we become consumed with the sidetrack item, the thing that's a distraction, and we miss out on what God is doing in our life. Our heart maybe grows cold. It grows critical. It just becomes distracted from the power of the Spirit of God about things that don't really matter when it's all said and done. I mean, what really matters when it comes down to your life and my life, isn't it really that you have this friendship with people and this love with God? Isn't that really what it comes down to? That your needs are somehow met? Maybe you don't have abundance. Maybe you do. But those aren't critical to really happiness and joy in life. Here's the second thing. Each step of the journey increases your hope. You see, God pours hope into us, he tells us in Romans chapter 5, and he puts hope into us so that we don't become overly discouraged. And I say overly because God allows some level of discouragement to happen in your life because it creates that hunger and that drawing you back into God and what God wants to do in your life. Sometimes you think, well, if everything is going well and I, I'm just living in this wonderful land, you miss out on God. All of us know that in the greatest moments of prayer are moments of discouragement and defeat, are they not? I mean, I look at how Jesus came to, to earth. I mean, was that simple? It wasn't simple. And somehow we get in our mind that we should have something better than Jesus had in his coming to earth. He was really criticized almost his entire ministry. And yet, somehow he gave hope. And you too, even in the middle of your criticism, your sidetracks, all those other things, you can give hope to people. It's the greatest thing you can do in your life is just give hope. I want to recognize a, a good friend of mine, uh, Mike Cheney. I know you didn't know I was going to do this. Mike, would you just stand up? Mike just uh, retired after 30 years the, in the Marines as a colonel, and we were able to share with him in that retirement. And you know, just to have a friend, and you are my friends, 
And to be able to share that, isn't that, doesn't that, isn't that hope generating in your life? To share those great moments of life, whether it's in death or in life, in marriage, in baptism, and just daily living out your life, isn't that just enriching to you? I mean, we so look forward to coming here on Sunday and just seeing your faces and hearing what's going to happen next. And and you're probably showing up going, I wonder what crazy thing they're going to come up with this week. And that's part of the joy. It really is. Here's the third one. God is working in your life right now. You may not know it, you may not feel it right now, but God is working. God is shaping you into to the image of himself. He's making you more like him. Even when you're, you're not walking with God, God is working with you. Now let's bounce back to Exodus for a moment. I'm going to show you something that's very interesting, I believe, that we find in the text for today. And you may be looking at this thinking, well, you're going to have to show this a little bit deeper. We hope we can do that and make, connect the dots for you. Exodus chapter 30, and the Lord said unto Moses, take sweet spices, stacti, onicha, and galbanum, and pure frankincense. Sound familiar? There were three guys that showed up at the birth of Jesus, and they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Interesting. And with these sweet spices, there shall be equal amounts of each. And you shall make of these an incense, a compound, according to the art of the perfumer, salted, pure, and holy. And you shall beat some of it very fine and put some of it before the testimony in the tabernacle of the meeting where I meet with you. Now this tabernacle, remember, is, is that place of meeting. It would be later called the temple, but the tabernacle was the tent that they moved through the wilderness in. And he said, you're going to take this and you're going to put it there before the testimony. It is going to be a part of worship, in other words. And he says, it's there that I meet with you. You see, when God, when God senses the fragrance of your prayers, he meets with you. Some of your prayers are really good, right? You know right where you're going, you're on spot, and everything's working for you. And some of them, God, I don't even know what to say. I don't even know what to do. God's there. God's there. And it, and it shall be most holy to you. But as for the incense which you shall make, you shall not make any for yourselves. In other words, this is going to be a very unique perfume, a very unique incense. Nobody's going to use it. It's for the Lord. According to its compound, it will, shall be holy for the Lord. And so God is saying, this incense that you're going to burn is not going to be burned any other time in any other place. It's going to be before the Lord. There is an incense of your life, there is a perfume of your being that needs to be before the Lord at all times. It's not for anybody else, it's just for Him. It's for His presence and His power and His pleasure. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. A little bit more familiar this time of year. And Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Do you notice how the Bible sets things in historical frameworks? It makes it very unique from all other religions of the world. It's historically accurate. It's set in, in places and times where you can validate truth. We've talked about prophecy and how prophecy validates. So does history validate what God says. You can pinpoint times and days. It says, Behold, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? If you trace the history of these wise men back, you'll trace them back to the times of 
the Babylonian invasion and where those wise men came. And remember, Daniel was taken captive into Babylon. And it was there that he really saved the lives of the wise men as he interpreted the king's dream. This is the, the, her, the spiritual heritage of these guys. And I wonder how much Daniel must have poured into their life as he rescued their life, and they learned about the true God, and somehow that had been passed on from generation to generation. And now these wise men coming out of the east said, wait a minute, let me tell you something. We have a prophecy. There was a, a, one coming, a king, who will be born among the Jews. And then it says, and we have something else. We have a star that validated it. It says, for we have seen his star in the east, and we have come for one purpose, to worship him, which really is the one purpose of our life, is it not? To worship God. When Herod heard these things, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. You see, he, would, he didn't want any, anyone to take his throne, anyone to be the king. He wanted to be the king. And there were always someone vying for attention, always someone trying to be the, the king. And it says, when they had gathered all the chief priests, the scribes, the people together, he inquired of them where Christ was to be born. Notice that he brings together the Jewish people. He says, where is this king to be born? And so they said unto him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. Isn't it interesting, the Jewish people at the birth of Jesus, knew exactly where he was to be born. When he was born there, they didn't believe it. It's just like you and me, isn't it? God says something, go, yeah, I know he said that, but. Could that really happen? God works a miracle. You say, I know that's a miracle, but really, does that really work that way? It is exactly how it works. God puts things together. He takes the smallest thing like frank, frankincense and he begins to mix it in the book of Exodus. He gives you a little dash of it in the book of Matthew and then in Revelation chapter five, he shows you the fulfillment of how all that works. It said in Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah for out of you shall come a, ru a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search out carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring him back to me that I may come worship him also. And they knew something was wrong. When they had heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which had, they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly great. When they had come into the house and they saw the young child with Mary and his mother, they fell down and they worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When you fast forward to Revelation chapter 5 and verse 8, it tells us that there, are, there is a holy incense that is the prayers of the saints. They're stored in golden vials and God releases them when he chooses to. You see, all your prayers that you offer up that you think are going nowhere, you think God doesn't hear because God's not answering immediately, God is storing each of those up. He's waiting for the right time of release. Don't be discouraged. You see, some of what happens in our life is we get this instant gratification thing going on. We want everything right now. And God says, no, store it up, just wait the fact that you were urged into that prayer, that we were moved into that time of prayer and for that specific uh, request means something and it's stored up for you. I will unfold it as I will unfold it, but do not become discouraged by that. Let me talk to you a little bit about the mystery of anticipation. 
You ever anticipate anything? I went out and I was getting some stuff at the grocery store and I went by the Hot Wheels rack. I love those little cars. And I saw these two little white Porsches. And I said, I'm going to buy those two. And I came home and Tammy's unpacking the, the groceries. She says, what are these? I said, those are for, those are for Cruz and me. <laughs> one for him, one for me. He gets to pick the one he wants, but there was one for me. Oh, she said, well, put them in the stockings. Oh, no. Let me show you what I'm going to do with them. And we have this wall unit in our house, and I set them up there. You'll see them when you come by if we open it up. But we, we, set, we set them up on the top shelf there, so I wanted him to be able to spot them from the floor but not get to them. So he looks up and he goes, Papa, look. And I go, yeah, those are, those are two cars, one for you and one for me. I want them. You can have them. You can have them on Christmas Day. I want them now. Oh, I love building anticipation. <laughs> hope. Hope is woven into that. It's what God does. He puts a lot of things on the top shelf of your life. You can see them, and he wants you to see them so you can pray for them and you can believe God for them. He doesn't give everything on the low shelf so you can really see it. He couldn't fully see the car. All he could see was a top part that said Hot Wheels. And so then his dad says, come back here, Cruz, and you can get a better look. Get the far back of the room and teach him perspective. Sometimes the father comes along and says, if you will just get a different perspective on this situation, you will see more of what I'm doing. And that's what God does. He says, you're up too close to the situation. Back up. See what God is doing. We've seen that here at Influence Church, what God is doing. Whoever would have imagined we would be where we are today, nine months ago. All I could really do is just lose weight, which I wish I could do today, and pray and just hope that something was going to work. And God has done exceedingly abundantly beyond all we could ever ask or think. Such a great joy. I just got an email yesterday just confirming that the transfer of those five acres of land into the name of Influence Church that overlooks the Reagan Ranch was just given to the church. Amen. We just crossed that million dollar mark in our giving already in the month of December for the year, for nine months. That's a miracle, isn't it? We got information back from the, from the building that, that uh, they're liking what we see. They're going to, we're probably going to get a letter in the next week or so for a, you know, a final and best offer. And, and God is doing some stuff, guys. And there are times when you get up too close to it, you think, I don't know what's going on here. And you let the little things kind of get back. I did have somebody tell me last week, I'm going to really miss the theater because I like to get popcorn. We may have to get a popcorn machine, you know. It's part of our culture, part of our heritage, you know, and metal chairs so we can remember El Rancho, and somebody couldn't remember the name of El Rancho this morning, and they called it that coyote place because, you know, that's where the, the coyote was the mascot, and you just look back and you just kind of have fun with all of that. This mystery of anticipation, the birth of Jesus is the most important birth in the history of the world. Everything revolves around his birth. And we see glimpses of God's mysterious plan as given as early as in the book of Genesis about what God was doing. I'm going to take you back to Genesis now for a moment. I'm going to show you something, one of the first revelations, the first revelation of a coming Messiah. Look what, and, and it happens when God is having a dialogue with Satan 
and with Eve. And look what he says. God says, and I will put enmity between you, that is Satan, and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. Now, just stop for a moment. It says Satan has a seed that's going to come and try to destroy. Well, that's the Antichrist. But it says to Eve, very unusual, and your seed. See, here's the thing. Women don't have seed. Men do. This is a promise of the virgin birth in the book of Genesis chapter 3. And it says, and he shall bruise your head. And you, Satan, shall bruise his heel. In other words, Satan is going to cause a setback for the Messiah But the Messiah is only going to suffer a a wound to the heel, which would be temporary. But Satan will will serve a setback in a bruise to the head, a crushing of the head. And this is a promise that God takes you back. Now let's take a step one step forward to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. I want you to see what God is about. He's about teaching you the truth of who he is. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. A virgin is going to conceive? That's the craziest thought in the world. Imagine, gentlemen, your 13-year-old daughter comes home and says, I'm pregnant, but I'm still a virgin, and I've not slept with a man. And you would say something very spiritual and understanding like this. You get to your room. I'm getting your mother. (laughs) Because it doesn't make sense. Mary was probably 13 or 14 years old, and that's, that's the scene. And then, to make it worse, and an angel came and confirmed it all and said, I am the one who would bear the Son of God promised in the Old Testament. It's crazy. But there's a purpose. In Matthew 21 and 21, it kind of gives us that. It says, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. You know what that did to that generation? The same thing it does to us, it creates hope. It brings about joy. For us, it validates the word of God, that it is the word of God. It also reminds us of the entrance of the supernatural into our world. There's nothing darker than right before God works, is there? Nothing darker. You say, God, are you going to do anything? And you're pushing God. God, it's time. I don't know about you, but I'm really not a fan of God's calendar. My calendar, I prefer. It makes sense. When I I want what I want, when I want it, God, hello. And he's silent. Because he works in his own plan in his own way. The mystery that we read about requires faith. God's kingdom works on a very simple principle. You must believe. You must believe what God has said in order to understand the mysteries of God. Simply faith. One's belief in the virgin birth is not optional to a God follower. You can't have Jesus without the virgin birth. It is critical to understand that an imperfect man cannot pay the price for man's sin. As much as you might love someone and be willing to sacrifice someone, you could not do that for someone's sin. It took someone who was without sin to offer the perfect sacrifice for sin. No one is saved by being good or by being religious. 
The opposite is just the case. We seem to be closest to the kingdom when we recognize our sin. And we set aside religion as a method to please God. When you set that aside and you realize what you really are. Let me show you the mixture of the divine. Jesus is the eternal son of God. He is fully God and fully man. Jesus didn't come into being in Bethlehem. He was the eternal son of God. He always was, he always will be. He took on human nature, born in the likeness of men. He became fully man at that moment, but he was already fully God. And on earth, he was fully God and fully man. Look what Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7 tells us. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Now remember, Isaiah is writing 700 years before Jesus is born. And it says the government will be where? Upon his shoulder. What government? When will that government be? And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. So when the Jews read this, they said, this can't be him because he's not reigning as king, is he? Oh yeah, he's king of men's hearts and souls, and one day he will be king of all the earth. One day he will be the Lord of lords, the king of kings of all the nations will bow down to him. And it says then upon that and upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, for the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. And of the increase of his government, there is no end. You know what I think that means? I think that means once that his government begins to form, there's going to be an ever-increasing understanding on our part of how he rules and reigns throughout the universe. You know, our universe is expanding on a daily basis. It doesn't just stop. It's not static. God even affirms that in Revelation, that God is continually making worlds to come, the book of Hebrews tells us. Well, let's go back and think about who is this God-man. John chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Could it be any clearer? I hear people say, well, the Bible doesn't say that Jesus ever claimed to be God. Only about 25 times. And inferred many, many hundreds of times. He was crucified for claiming to be God, a very God. Jesus Christ is God. He demands, he expects, he deserves our worship and our praise. In John 1 and 14 it says, and the word became flesh. So here's this eternal word that becomes flesh. He takes on human nature and he dwelt among us. He lived down the street to those living in the first century. And then when they looked at him, they said, we beheld his glory and the glory that we saw in this Jesus was that of the father, full of grace and full of truth. He was asked one time by a disciple, show us the Father and that will be enough. And Jesus said this, have I been with you so long and you do not know me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Let me show you the majesty of God's purpose. Unlike many today, Matthew was really less concerned about how to prove the virgin birth 
to those who don't believe. He, was, he fully accepted the virgin birth as foretold in the scriptures by the prophets and by the angels. Their miraculous was to be expected in a world that God created. Wouldn't you expect a God who created the world by a miracle to work miracles? Wouldn't you expect a God who, who saves you by miraculous resurrection and, uh, of Jesus Christ to work miracles in your life? What is it you're believing God for right now? What is it in your, what is on the top shelf of, so to speak, that you're looking at and you see it from a perspective, if God would do that, that would really be amazing. Begin to pray that way. Why not? Why not trust God for something big? I always tell people, it's just as easy to pray for something big as small, isn't it? And I think it's, it's when we get into the big things that God's faith begins to, he begins to see our faith begins to respond to that. We could pray little things. Oh, God, I just pray that I can get off this stage today. No miracle there. Whether I step down or fall, I can get off this stage. Right? What about a great miracle that you'd like to see God do? What would it be? Write it down. Put it before God. Lay it there before God and say, God, I'm not leaving until I see this happen. Many centuries have come and gone, and one thing that we do know is science doesn't have the answer to the world's problems. I was talking to someone the other day, and, and he wasn't a believer, and I said, well, what do you believe? He said, I believe in science. I said, oh, that's great. Which generation, what, what era of science do you believe in? Because you say, I believe in science. Which, where, what slot? Oh, what do you mean? I said, well, you believe in the science today or the science tomorrow? Well, I just believe in science. I said, so you believe in the science that said the world was flat. You believe the science that did all kinds of crazy things during surgery, that kind of a science 100 years ago. No, I believe in the science today. I said, okay, the science today. Then what happens if tomorrow? They've already said that they're going to stop printing science textbooks for schools. It's all going to be on a terminal because they can't keep up with the change that's going on in science. What about the science tomorrow? Would you believe in the science tomorrow? Oh, yeah, well, maybe that's what I believe in. I said, okay, what if tomorrow they find out there is a God gene and man really does, was created in the image of God and there is a God, then what are you going to do with your science? Well, I hadn't thought about that. (laughs) Science is not the answer. How about government? Anybody confident in our government worldwide? Anybody's government today? Anybody going, you know, I am so glad we have this wonderful government that cares for us. They are just, I know without a shadow of a doubt, they thinking of me when I go home. <laughs> and every piece of legislation is moving in the direction of me getting a, a job and moving in the direction of me being taken care of. It's moving in the direction of caring for my family and, and having the, the best interest in mine and all those other things. That never happens. We're smart enough to know that's not true. Government is necessary. It's a part of our culture. We should pray for our leaders. We should support it. We should pray for righteousness to to avail on our land. But we know ultimately that's not going to be the answer to man's problem. How about religion? Religion has failed to create harmony and unity. In fact, religion has been the source of probably more conflict worldwide than any other thing. That's why I tell you I hate religion. I love Jesus. And there is a difference. See, religion is man trying to find God, please God by good works. Following Jesus is about me accepting his gift of grace through faith and living out my life as a Christ follower. 
How about education? You think education can fix mankind? Intelligence has little or no bearing on character. We know that. You can take the most educated person and they just find better ways to cheat you. Right? We can take someone who knows very little and they could have the greatest character in the world. It's not the the criteria, is it? The only solution is Jesus. Jesus has the power to transform the heart of man and to restore divine purpose. He does. Man created in the image of God is called to live out this Christ-like life and be an image bearer wherever we go. Just lift up the name of Jesus. I love to say the name of Jesus. It sounds different than when you say God because everybody's going, I wonder what God, or yeah, well, everybody believes in God, but not everybody believes that Jesus is the God-man come in the flesh, walking among us, living among us, carrying out his life in our life. That's why Paul said, I carry about in this body the dying of the Lord Jesus. That is, I embrace his death and his resurrection. I might walk in this life of Jesus everywhere I go. We need to be like Jesus. This is what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen generation. Did you ever feel chosen? Ever anybody choose you? I remember when I was in uh, junior high, and we used to play dodgeball. Nobody chose me first in dodgeball. I was a little bit bigger, slow on my feet, and I was an easy target. And you're sitting there, and if you've ever had that experience of being chosen, you're going, I just hope. I'm not the last one chosen. I just hope I'm not the last one chosen. And it's such a joy when you hear somebody go, okay, Phil, you're over here on our team, and there's three guys left. You don't care about those guys anymore. That's their problem. You got on the dodgeball team. Now your goal is to keep from getting hit. When God looked out on the team, he chose you. And he didn't choose some of you first and some of you later. He just says, I chose you, and you're all equal in the kingdom of God. Now, your job is to quit, try to keep from getting hit with sin. You've got to dodge sin so you can live like me. You can prove yourself that you really love Jesus and do the very best you can. You're going to fail, I know that, but do the very best you can to dodge those balls when they come at you and try to defeat you and discourage you and take you down the wrong path. You're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You know what that means? That means you personally can go right to Jesus. And you can offer up your sins. You can offer up your confessions. You can go right to Jesus. You are a priesthood before the king. And a holy nation. We are a nation. We don't have the, the flag like other nations. We don't have the, 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 the same weaponry as other nations. We are a holy nation, though. We're a nation that is brought together because of Jesus Christ. We're a special people. You're special to God. That you may what? Here's why. You may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his light. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now you have mercy. Don't you love mercy? I always say when I'm driving down the road and someone passes me when I'm speeding, I want them to get a ticket right? I can't believe that guy. I'll say to my wife, look at that guy speeding. He's going crazy. And I look down my speedometer and I'm going at least two or three miles over the speed limit. 
But if that cop pulls me over, what do I want? Justice or mercy? I think I want mercy. I'll even cry. I can work up a tear in that moment. <laughs> First John 3, 2. What, what, what's our destiny? It says, beloved, we are now the children of God. Do you know what, that's what you are? I am a child of God right now. It's not yet been revealed what we shall be. This is the most common question I get asked. What do you think we're going to be like in heaven? And I always just tell people, overweight and bald. <laughs> Men and women alike, everybody, just going to be overweight and bald. And old, we're going to be old. I know so I've had women tell me, said, you know what, if, that, if I'm not going to be like young and everything, I'd rather just die now while I look good. Because why, you know, why, why we're stuck in, in, in this thing forever? You know, somehow I think it's not going to matter. Somehow I think it shouldn't matter today. Somehow I think we should look on the person and who we are as people. We should look on the character of the heart. We should look on the genuineness of our devotion to God. It shouldn't be about external things. God never wanted it to be that way. It happens in our world, it does indeed. <laughs> But somehow it's not going to matter. It says we shall see him uh, like he is and we shall be like him. Maybe the like him is not looking like him. I've even had people speculate and say, well, then I guess we're going to be like 30 years old. Okay, if you want to push that analogy, then you're going to be male, 30 years old, have scars in your hands, your feet, and in your side. That analogy doesn't work. Like him, I think, in the in the intrinsic quality of his person. We're going to be like him. And then other things don't matter anymore. They just don't matter. God wants us to, to be a people of things, uh, to look at things that don't matter, take the things that don't matter, push them over here, and focus in on loving Jesus. Advancing the kingdom of God, saying, how can I be a greater part of the kingdom of God? Let me give you some life applications. Here's the first one. God's plan for you are better than you could imagine. You take your best plan, God has a better plan. Many of the plans of men, but it's God who directs the paths, Proverbs tells us. Trust God in the darkness. You ever been in the darkness? You said, I don't know where to go with this. Just trust him. You say, well, that's not easy. No, it's, it's horribly difficult. Trust him anyway. Trust him anyway. When you learn how to trust him in the darkest moments, then the, when, when the dawn comes, it's going to be pretty easy. And then anticipate God's best. Just anticipate. I just expect God's going to do some great things. I don't know what it is. God, I just expect you're going to do great things. I'll get up in the morning in my prayer, and, and sometimes I'll get off, off cycle a little bit, but I'll, say, I'll get up in the morning and I'll say, God, I just believe this is a day of favor. I believe, God, this is a day you're going to do some great things. I'm going to anticipate that you're going to work in my best uh, for my best way and my best purpose possible, God. And then something will happen. And I go, God, I thought we had a, an arrangement this morning. We were talking, you know, I was giving you my, my spiel. God, and God, just remind me, I'm still doing that. It just looks different than you think it does. What is it God is doing today? Believe Him for the best. Give Him praise for the best. Amen. Hey, I just want to say this. Uh, I love you guys. Really appreciate your commitment to Christ and this church. 
what we've been through for this year. And next year we're going to share, I mean, next week we're going to share some things about where we're going and kind of pull together what's happened over the last 10 months and just be able to rejoice a little bit in that. But I'm so thankful for each one of you and for the servants that show up here early in the morning and they, they dedicate themselves to everything from setting up, you know, at 6 o'clock they get here, they set up, they get things arranged, they set up outside, they serve, they pray through the week. So many things going on. Thank you, thank you for our staff that just give themselves so great to what we're doing. I just really appreciate each and every one of you, and I just want to say thank you to each one of you, and we love you. Let's pray together. Father, as we pray, we want to just give thanks where thanks is due and just gratitude for every single person here, for their children, for their children's children. God, for uh, people who've just given so much to you. And God, you've given so much for us. You've loved us with, a, with an unending love. You've come to us when we were poor and needy and bankrupt in so many ways, and you've blessed us beyond measure. And God, we are thankful that you have birthed the church called Influence, and that now 10 months into it, God, we have so many things to rejoice in, so many things to give you glory for. May you be praised. May you be lifted up. May every person here experience the joy of Jesus on a daily basis. In your name we pray.